welcome to another episode of the Business Exchange, How Business Works, brought to you by the American Business Council, the voice of American business in Nigeria. The Business Exchange is a podcast where we interview experts in various sectors to share their insights about the sectors that they exist. My name is Margaret Olele and I'm your host for today. Um, on I think the 12th of August 2023, the world celebrated the International Youth Day with the Team Green Skills for Youth towards a sustainable world. The United Nations defines youth as persons between the ages of 15 to 24 years. I've always thought I was, you know, a youth in spite of the fact that I'm over 50, but well. Um, approximately 20% of Nigeria's population fall within this category. Unfortunately, one in five of these people in the continent are unemployed, not educated, or lack uh, the adequate training. And this demographic is also susceptible to exclusion from policy decisions and stakeholder engagement platforms because of traditional norms where the, 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 the young people should keep their mouth shut, the elders are the ones who know um, everything, you know. Um, this exclusion diminished the ability of future generations to meet their own needs due to this limitation in capacity and growth opportunities. And the unfortunate scenario inevitably uh, results in uh, the challenges around uh, the sustainable development of nations like our country, Nigeria, in the long term. Today, issues like technology, entertainment, agriculture and sports are sectors that have been identified as variable alternatives that can reduce Nigeria's reliance on oil revenues. These sectors can also resolve issues regarding unemployment, food insecurity, and good health for us. Everybody has been screaming ever since the Ukraine war started that the issue around for security and even um, you know health as should be of critical importance to every country. So it is imperative that these sectors require active youth participation to drive innovation for adequate human resources, and more importantly, for continued growth. These sectors would continue to wield enormous potential for economic growth, and we still see that nothing has been done or very little has been done. And so for this reason, the American Business Council has seen the need for youth engagement in policy making and participation in these sectors. And, and, and because of that, we, we, we're trying to start conversation in this regard through what we call um, Youth in Tease podcast series uh, to kind of celebrate the International Youth Day that happened this month. So today we'll be taking a deep dive into youth participation in agriculture in Nigeria. And we know that agriculture is without doubt the bedrock of industry and is a key non-oil sector contributor, contributor to Nigeria's GDP. The sustainable growth of this sector and the nation's um, stand on it uh, has been, you know, largely compromised over the years with um, a lot of youth not wanting to participate um, in, in this. And so we'll, we'll be looking at what we call um, harnessing the youth participation in agriculture in Nigeria for today's podcast. Now, we have our guest. It's not like me that's over 50 and we're still wanting to be youth. Uh, we have our guest, Kenneth Obiagelu, uh, who's a food security expert and the chief executive officer at AgriCorps International. Now, Kenneth is the 
engine room that drives agriculture, a Nigerian spice or spices production company using um, technology to aggregate spices from small holder farmers in Nigeria and processing them. I, why, why am I telling you all the stories about Kenneth? I think Kenneth should tell his story. Welcome, Kenneth. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Marcus. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so Kenneth, please can you just tell us a bit about um, how you got in here and what you do? Um, okay, um, so I, I started my my um, career very early on um, when I um, left university in 2010. Um, I worked with um, Heineken, Nigeria, that's Nigerian breweries for a bit and um, moved into quickly into international development. And um, so I worked with a, an agency or a company called TechnoServe. Inc. It's based out of the US, but they operate out of 23 countries um, in the world. And um, one of the projects that I was deployed into was called um, the State Partnership for Agriculture, right? It was funded by um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And um, I was working with um, three states commissioners for agriculture to build agricultural investment plans and um, set up the states for comparative advantages. And the biggest problem that we experienced or that we saw um, that most of the states had, especially when dealing with um, smallholder farmers, because farmers are broken down into three categories, um, small, medium, and then large scale was issues around the biggest problems were issues around productivity being very low, um, post-harvest losses being very high, and um, access to finance was almost non-existent at that point in time. And um, last thing was the farmers would have to scale through multiple layers of intermediaries to be able to um, sell their produce. And so with all of these challenges, um, we tried to develop agricultural investment plans for the states, but most importantly, we try to also engage the private sector to see how they can build very, very sustainable plans, you know, beyond working in a development environment. How can we support the private sector to engage, you know, to ensure that even when our projects are done, right, um, private sector still has a role to play and the livelihoods of these farmers are not in any way um, affected. You know, and so um, in, in doing that project, um, after that project, I was with Rockefeller and uh, did something with the World Bank as well. And, you know, in all of these things, we kept seeing opportunities in most of the areas that we worked in. And so in 2018, you know, I, I put together a couple of friends and um, we developed a plan um, that saw us exploring the opportunities that we had seen in um, the spices segment um, in the country. Um, nobody knew but back then that Nigeria was the largest producer of, um, one of the largest producers of ginger in the world, third largest producer of ginger in the world, accounting for 16.5% of global production. But in terms of export market share, we could barely account for 3%. So our job was very simple. Um, work with smallholder farmers, aggregate, process, and um, see how we're able to push out these products to um, international market. And that was where it started from, you know, as a business, that was where AgriCorp was formed. And um, basically it came from that um, mandate of trying to solve some of these critical challenges that we had, we had seen, we had consulted on, and um, 
bringing together a group of very sharp and interesting people that really, really wanted to, to make the world a better place, um, but to be able to get the job done. So um, that was how we started AgriCorp and um, that's what we're doing today. Fantastic. You know, um, what you just shared with me is is very, um, I mean, it's it's eye ear popping or eye popping ear opening, um, you know, um, because I, you know, when you when you say that Nigeria is the third largest producer of ginger, this is something that I honestly don't know about. And I'm sure a lot of people still find it or to imagine that we um you know account for 60.5 percent of that in the world especially when you talk about things about you know export quality and all, all the other things which would come to but 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 one of the things that we noticed is that the percentage of employment in agriculture has consistently dipped from 52 percent in 1991 to less than about 35 percent you know today as in 2023 uh, what would you say are some of these reasons for this uh, staggering decline and 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 what um how how can we make this a more desirable field because apparently uh, this is my hunch that some people think but before you know before we start the podcast i said uh, when we're having a convert the conversation that sometimes people think of agriculture and the image they, they have is some person in the rural area wearing tattered clothes and having very soiled uh, you know um uh, hands and things so uh, this is these are kind of two barrel questions but what do you think is the cause of this staggering and what can what can be done to inspire this area? So I think that um, over time, um, Nigeria has moved from um, a producing nation to a, a consumption nation, right? Um, and it has, you look at the data and you look at, um, you put that, you just oppose that with um, the discovery of oil and the discovery of minerals. You know, and then you see that Nigeria moved from um, being a producing nation to a rent-seeking or oriented nation, where we don't necessarily have to work so hard to earn a living, and that was where the decline started from. You know, um, the perception around um, oil can take care of everything that Nigeria needs. You know, there was a study that was conducted by Wipad in 2012 um, that said that the average age of farmers in Nigeria was between the ages of 55 and 60 years old, and that by 2030, um, the numbers would increase um, tremendously. It means that um, in a few years from now, if we don't, um, you know, take these hard decisions to attract a new crop of people into the agricultural space, um, we would be facing serious food um, security issues. You know, because um, the farmers that we have today are um, above 50, you know, they would be about 60, 70 by that time, you know. And so it's it's very important that we start taking a look at um, these um, numbers, you know, um, most importantly, um, how do we attract um, the new set of people? It, it starts first with um, policy framework. And I, I like to give you an, an instance. Um, you look at the UAE, the UAE has a food security plan for 2051, 2051, you know, you ask yourself, how is it possible that you want to plan um, all the way to 2051? You know, uh, it's it's the intentionality and um, the, the level of intentionality that comes from the state actors to say, this is what 
we want to do and we have declared a state of emergency and we're backing our declaration with actions. What do we want to be known um, to be by 2051? This is me referencing the UAE. And mind you, this is a country that is a desert. You know, and so you ask yourself, what kind of strategies are they putting in place to be able to ensure that they are food secure? You know, and these are the things that as a nation, we need to start focusing on. And for us to be able to do that, we need to look at what are the major factors of productions available. And when you look at the labor element of the factor of production, how can we start harnessing the power of the Nigerian youth? you know, in, in these activities. You look at our, our population um, breakdown, the demographic in itself, you see that between the ages of zero and 14, right, um, the Nigerian population, it represents about 43% of the Nigerian population. You look at the ages of between 10 and 19, that's 23% of the Nigerian population. You look at between the ages of 10 and 24, you know, that's 33% of the Nigerian population. So it shows you that the core of the Nigerian population sits between the ages of 10 and 24. So the question now becomes, how is it possible that this, this particular age bracket does not see agriculture as a very attractive um, industry, right? If you even look at agriculture's contribution to GDP, it sits at between 24 and 25% of the GDP of the country, you know, which is meant to be a significant portion, you know. And so we haven't, I think agriculture has a perception problem, you know, um, people, people feel that, you know, it's like you said, it's a raggedy kind of um, um, activity. It's not an industry that um, we want to be associated with. So it's, it's just like when you say um, um, you sleep for eight hours, you know, people ask you, how can you sleep for eight hours? You know, you know, while 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 you sleep, others are working. Look, it's, it's also a perception issue. Do you tell a kid, a child that is five years old, that you're sleeping for eight hours? <laughs> you know, but you, you tell an adult that requires sleep because they're going through a whole lot. You tell that mm-hmm. person that you're sleeping too much when sleep can also be very therapeutic and can solve certain problems, you know, in your life. So I think agriculture as well has a perception issue, you know, and how do we move out of that perception? You know, first, the, the communication has to be very intentional. It starts with how do we project agriculture as an industry? You know, when we talk about agriculture, what what documentations or what um, um, infographics do we put out there? You know, and, and that's why the United States is one of the biggest marketing companies in the world, because they have succeeded in selling you know, themselves to the world as a dream. You know, um, America is seen as, they, they, they have even um, the American dream as a slogan. You know, everybody wants to move to America because it is communicated as the land filled with milk and honey, right? But America is also a place that um, your chances of, of, of getting dead very quickly is very high because you walk into a store and some lunatic can walk into that store with a gun and kill everybody there. Every single day, the death rate in America compared to other parts of the world is it's it's ridiculous. But you see, the communication about America is not that. And so I think we need to be very intentional first about 
how do we position or communicate agriculture such that it does not translate to the tattered man wearing tattered clothes and carrying holes and cutlasses, right? How can we demonstrate and show that it can be better? You know, um, that's, that's, that's the first level. The second part, and like I keep telling people is, we need to show my generation where the money is. You know, money is mm-hmm. one of the major drivers of why people should move into a particular industry. Let's not kid ourselves. Agriculture is one of those spiritual industries that has been backed, you know, from time immemorial, right? It has spiritual backings, it has scriptural backings, it has everything that anybody that should want those kinds of blessings should go after. But beyond that, you know, where's the money? You need to show our people, you know, when just yesterday I was having a um, conversation with um, a couple of Nigerians in um, Lusaka, because I'm, I'm, um, I'm in Zambia at the moment. I was talking to a couple of Nigerians and they said, what do you do? I said, we do spices and poultry. And they said, spices, what do you mean by spices? Is there money there? <laughs> right and i i didn't i didn't I, is, is, I, is I it moving market as, as some people would say is it moving market is, is it moving market you know and i'm like before they could even say anything i brought out my phone brought out one order from the clients that we had in dubai you know for um three months and showed them 4.5 million dollars in orders for ginger alone for three months they were shocked they said what do they use it for I said, that's not the conversation. The conversation is, is the market significant? Is it substantial enough? Is it accessible? Is it attractive? You know, and on all of these counts, it is, it meets up with all of these things. And, you know, and people are shocked. Like, how is it possible that you can generate this level of orders? You know, you can sell this much, you know, and that's our job as communicators of what agriculture should represent that it is a very lucrative space, but also requires its um, reasonable amount of sacrifice that needs to be paid as with anything, you know, it, it, it has to be done. So I, I think um, just to narrow down, it, it's, it's, um, we need to be able to solve that perception problem that agriculture has. And most importantly, we need to show my generation where the money is, because if we don't see it, then we keep thinking that, you know, um, it's 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 not worth it. Um, the World Bank has estimated that the, the African food market will hit one trillion dollars uh, by 2030. It only makes sense that those that would be partaking from that market in 2030 should be the ones investing in that space now. So I, I think these are some of the things that we need to do um, as as a nation to to project better what agriculture represents. Fantastic. In fact, it's this is so mind blowing. And as you were talking, I I, I just I I just thought about having a, a summit with the title "Show Me the Money," agriculture or something, like that. <laughs> you know, and target my, targeting the something slogan. like that. That's my <laughs> slogan. Show me the money. Show me the money. You know. So, but but then you know you you've 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 talked about. Um, perception and you've talked about you know being intentional in in showing exactly what agriculture can derive in terms of you know the monetary um, aspects of things um so that i think there's a there's a need to drive better 
information in this area uh, so that people understand the opportunities because what everyone is looking at now is you know where are the opportunities people go to study things in tech because they feel that's where they have the opportunities but to your point you know um, over four uh, you know uh, million or, or you know that you just shared is a million or yeah that is 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 not is 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 not an easy thing at all it isn't an easy thing um so that that's a, a lot of work to be done there but i, I want to move to to an area that i know uh, you know the youth are super interested in and where i have i'm going to see a lot of um, marriage from different sectors so and that's you know uh, technology so um we have seen um fintech edutech health tech and we're, now we're beginning to see a lot in the in, in the area of ad tech um so what's the role that you you think technology can play in attracting and engaging youth um in agriculture and specifically how have you been able to deploy technology in your own business to ensure that you know you you get you optimize uh the opportunities in the sector Okay, so th this issue of technology, it's, it's very, it's, um, it's a two-edged sword, right? Um, okay. It has its benefits, um, but it also has its, its downsides. Um, our generation is so focused on what's the easiest route to get into the industry without um, actually getting my hands soiled or burnt. You know, and and that's where I would like to differentiate between ag tech, fintech, health tech, and all of that. Um, ag tech is one of those um, uh, measures or marriages, like you put it, where it is or it will never be eighty percent technology and twenty percent agriculture, right? Unlike fintech, everything can be a hundred percent tech. You know. Agriculture is different. It still involves that major activity, you know, that has to do with getting your hands dirty, boots on the ground, you know. Um, so in, in this regard, how does technology play a role in agriculture? How do you leverage technology to be able to increase your efficiency as a business? How do you deploy technology in critical agricultural um, activities to be able to bring about um, efficiency and technology would now be broken down into two hard and soft right hard technology requires things like for example um, soil testing you know how can you test the soil composition to know what is the composition of this soil and how do i increase the nutritional requirement of the soil such that it can create an impact on the productivity side you know rather than using um, fertilizers mpk 15 15 15 bland fertilizers right can we start using soil specific fertilizers or product specific fertilizers that's technology right there how can we for example um, rather than just spray um, um, crop protection products across the farmlands Right. How can we utilize technology um, like drones to be able to cover a larger expanse of land and be able to check crop um, health, you know, as against just doing things because that's how it's been done. 
you move to an area like poultry, for example, how can I use technologies in, um, you know, CCTVs or um, to be able to detect what is the um, animal health for this particular bird, right? What is the temperature in this particular room? Why am I ref referencing all of these things? It's important that we're able to separate agriculture as what it is and how technology can be utilized, you know? Um, and then you look at the soft part of the technology, which is now the use of um, um, software solutions, blockchain solutions, and all of all this nice stuff that has evolved, you know, from the financial technology space into other areas. And the reason why I'm very deliberate about it is at some point in 2015, 2016, the entirety of Nigeria was so fascinated about ag tech that they forgot that technology is not agriculture, right? And the, 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 the difference or the amount of effort or level of effort that you put into agriculture is much more than the technology side. And so we saw a whole, the rise of several crowdfunding platforms that represented ag tech but failed to carry out the actual activities of agriculture. And over time, it's, you were, a lot of people where you could tell the difference you know, between those that have been able to actually use technology in optimizing their system. And for us as a business, AgriCorp, what we have done over the years has been to invest in building proprietary solutions that allows to increase our efficiency. For example, we're a business that grows with farmers um, aggregates from farmers, processes, and then we export part of our, our um, products. What we have done is to develop um, proprietary solutions that allows us to be able to efficiently and effectively aggregate produce from farmers. We have built solutions that helps us to train our farmers remotely, you know, without having physical contact with one or two um, uh, of our technical field specialists on the ground. You know, we have been able to build uh, blockchain solutions that allows our clients that are in faraway locations like Dubai, South Africa, Morocco, India, China, to be able to see how the products are being produced from the farmers, how it is being aggregated, how it is being stored in the warehouses, how it's being packaged, and the movement along all the way to, we've even gotten to a point where we have tracked what has been produced by Alaji Gamohan in uh, Kubacha to um, Spice Grow in South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, where they produced this particular spice that ended up on the shelf. And then this particular person buys it. That is how you leverage on technology to be able to drive transparency in the entire chain. You know? And so for us, it's, it's very important that we are able to separate and differentiate these things for us to be able to have a better understanding of how can technology now play a role in increasing efficiency. And, and that's where our, our generation is very, very, very um, particular about how can we now support with um, working across the entire value chain and not just the production side. How do we work on the marketing side by leveraging on technology? How do we work on the transportation side by leveraging on technology? How do we work on the financing side by leveraging on technology. And, and, and I think that's, that's how I would like to put it.
you know, so I'll take you back again. Thanks. But I'll take you back again to the the, the point where you, you talked about, you know, exporting to Dubai, to Morocco. Uh, one of the challenges um, we've had in agriculture in Nigeria is, um, is, is the fact that most of the, uh, you know, products or people who export um, have um you know issue, have quality issues so um it's either they don't you know they, they say the quality of the products are not great or you know that they're not um you know fit for consumption uh, and and all the other stories that you get you know remember the popular story about um, the export of yams out of nigeria and you know how it happened uh, so how do we um because this really has to do with equipping young individuals with necessary skill sets to engage effectively in modern agricultural practices. How do we do that to ensure that you know um, agriculture in this space becomes a sustainable form of uh, of economic growth? I mean, you've you've mentioned a lot of things you've done around the value chain, the trainings there. But how do we? Um, how, how do how do we help even in the very basic thing around export? Because what you have done is that you've built confidence through transparency and some level of governance across your the value chain of of, of uh, different levels of production to the point of delivery. Um, how do we support, train, equip uh, the youth in this level of understanding? In terms of um, export, some people will tell you, "Well, I mean, Nigeria is big enough—a big enough country. Um, I'm not interested in export." Well, for the most part, for us to get those desired, you know, green dots that seem to be plaguing us in recent times in this country, we need to export. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you see, what 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 you're saying is is very very um, it's 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 very important, right? What I tell people is. Nigerians as individuals are one of the most intelligent and outstanding people, but Nigeria as an entity, you know, is the problem, right? Um, and how 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 do I mean? As an individual, you're able to do, um, you're able to maneuver and do a couple of things, but as a system, as a structure, you are you are you are limited, you know. And the principle is, we compete when we should be collaborating. And then we collaborate when we should be competing most times. How can you collaborate to ensure that you have export grade commodities? You know, we while I was in um, the project I mentioned, we did the export of yams first, and we showed people how it can be done and how you can partner with yam conditioning centers in Otukbo, um, in Bainway, you know, how can you condition the yams? How do you work with local partners to be able to support you? We had an individual that said, no, I want to do it all by myself and went and exported yams. And then they didn't condition it. They didn't wrap it, they didn't wax it. They, they are procedures that you must follow. But like I said, we, we, we compete when we should collaborate. And then we will collaborate when we should compete. And that has been our biggest problem. You know? So how do you build capacity, especially when you're a newbie? Your best solution is to collaborate with people that have done it before. 
We didn't start by exporting to Dubai and all these places. We got the international buyers representatives to come into Nigeria to tell us what they want. Follow through with the process. If it is at this level, would you take it in Dubai? And they said, yes. And then we pushed the requirements to our people. They delivered, and then we sent the product to them, free of charge. Let it get there, check your requirements, and then pay us. Because you have to build confidence and trust. Trust is a variable in international trade that is prerequisite. But Nigerians don't understand that. Ours is, once I send you my, uh, my consignment, just give me my money now. You know, no medium to long-term perspective as to how it should happen. You know, and so that's where, um, you know, we need to really, really work on as a system. How can we work with? Our systems are also very broken. You know, um, there is a department phytosanitary that is messing people up. There is this other one that is telling you, if you don't give me this amount of money, nothing will happen. Then you get to our papa. Our papa is a madhouse. It's, it's for mad people. If you're not a mad person, you cannot operate in a papa, you know? So the entire system in itself is designed to frustrate you, you know? So you have to be very, very strategic about what you do. Four years ago, I told we we had a retreat and we told our people there would be a need for us to balance our um, receipts with a whole lot of foreign um, sales because there is coming a time when our dollar denominated loans would be coming due and the Naira is too vulnerable. It is too unstable. So four years ago, we developed our, um, our um, um, natural hedge to this madness that is happening right now in Nigeria. You know, and so we need to be able to, entrepreneurs and businesses need to be able to see into the future. Has it happened before? Yes. How can you mitigate these challenges? You know, and everyone is scrambling for greenbacks now. As we speak, I can tell you categorically, we're speaking with multinationals in Nigeria that are now scrambling for agricultural export companies to either collaborate with or acquire because they are one of the few businesses that have a natural edge to generating effects mm -hmm. and meeting with their obligations. Whereas you have multinationals that look at all of the multinationals, Nestle, look at Nigerian breweries, look at um, Cadbury. You know, I can give you a host of others that have been declaring billions of losses. Guinness declared 20 point something billion in yeah. FX losses. Same thing with Nigerian breweries, same thing with Cadbury. We just found out that, is it JSK or which company was that that just exited Nigeria? You know, mm -hmm. Dangote declared FX losses. These are businesses that are bigger than startups, but they are still being held by the system. You know, Nigeria would can strangle you where it needs to strangle you. So now it's about how are we now going to collaborate? We're discussing with these kinds of big multinationals. Say, hey, look, we, as small as we are, we have, we can push out $30 million in contracts if we have $30 million in funding. Are you interested? You know, we have orders of $100 million, but we don't have the money to be able to fund it. Are you interested? And that is where the collaborative efforts that I'm talking about comes into play. But we have been speaking to them before. Everybody feels, no, we don't need 
anybody until we need them. And that's the wrong approach. You know, so that's the way I see it, that collaborations will solve all the problems that your individual brilliance might not be able to solve in 10 years. You know, it can solve it just like that. And that's what we need to start pushing um, a lot more for a lot of businesses and um, business owners. Yeah, thank you so much, Kenneth. You know, the more you talk, the more I I, I, I get tempted to ask you more questions. Um, the the issue of port the port challenges you just um talked about, and I'm thinking, you know, shouldn't just you know having um a lot more ports in the in the country that are operational able to help, and then obviously within the the ports themselves, the systems, the bottlenecks. Um, how are you able to um kind of uh, navigate through this these challenges to get things done. I, I recall, you know, way back my past past life, I was on the standards uh, committee, uh, Nigeria standards um, committee and uh, the technical committee. And we had this codex elementarius thing and the, the, the there was the issue of um, the um, I think there were, it was a grain, some um, grains, uh, rice and Japan was, you know, they wanted Nigeria to support them you know uh, the level of the um, uh, the, the 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 toxic um, uh, use of the, the chemical that that you know used in the process in the processing, and we're like, oh no, we're not, and they were able to pull data to show that look, even some of the things you do, you know, the the drying process, you know, and all that, um, you know, you have higher levels. So why are you why are you complaining? So there are lots of things we need to do in terms of understanding, you know, um, you know, research, having quality that's of international standard, um, ensuring that uh, ports work, um, ensuring that Nigeria understands that this is the next step to go and support every means. It's not, it's not just a lip service of, oh, we support agriculture, but at what levels, what can be done? This is where follow where the money you know goes and and see what how best you can do to kind of resolve um, you know this this these issues. I would um, ask one last question because I see that we're running against time. And I think you have also um, hinted that, you know, in the last um, uh, conversation you just shared uh, regarding, you know, funding. And this is access to finance, which has been cited as a barrier to entry into the agricultural sector. And what me mechanisms can be established to kind of uh, incentivize and enable young Nigerians to pursue uh, cultural ventures. I know that, you know, they have all these uh, bank of, you know, um, uh, industry and uh, Central Bank had done some some things here and there, you know, uh, but uh, in my estimation, and I may be wrong, I don't think that these are very strategic, intentional ways of going about it. But you mentioned certain ways around access to finance. Can you kind of uh, dive a bit deeper into that for the listening audience? So, you see, how do I put it? See, if you give me time, to talk. <laughs> if, I, 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 if I had my way, I would have told the team that we, we set up the call when we have as much time as possible because to, I'm, I'm struggling to condense all of these things into one, two minutes, right? But I'll just tell you a philosophy in, um, in innovation or disruption. Um, it's called disruptive innovation, right? And it's a principle that simply states, when one factor of production is constant or is limited, naturally, innovation will take place 
to disrupt that entire space. Case in point, when land is scarce, people don't build bungalows anymore. They start building high rises. Okay. Mm-hmm. When labor is scarce, people stop using just human labor. They start using machines to be able to create or improve, right? When capital is scarce, which is a factor of production as well, people begin to innovate to ensure that capital becomes available and will be democratized. That is the issue around, and that's why when capital was not available, started seeing a whole lot of crowdfunding platforms jumping up. When the banks were not going to do their jobs, people started doing their jobs for them, right? When um, the central banks were not doing their jobs, you started seeing things like crypto and blockchain technologies coming on board. The biggest problem with financing agriculture in Nigeria is not the policy. The biggest problem is the people that are financing it or the people that have been given the mandate to provide the finance, they don't understand agriculture. They use the same templates that they use in appraising buildings to appraise agriculture. How do you finance and a real estate project. You will carry that same templates, carry that same risk management profile and put in agriculture and say, how can you show me that you have a collateral of this? How can you um, de-risk it to this? You know, all of all these issues have been there. So for me, financing is a very, very critical issue, right? And it must be addressed accordingly. We must have agricultural finance experts that understand agriculture and know how to finance agriculture to get that job done. It is not even our Bank of Agriculture, they don't understand what is going on there. Even our, they don't understand it. But there are some few people, and I'm happy to mention one or two, that they understand this business of agriculture, not culture of agriculture. I'm saying the business of agriculture, which is agribusiness in itself. The likes of Apex, for example. Mm-hmm. Apex have mastered the science, the arts, and the commercial of agriculture that they can mitigate any risk at any point in time, and they can give credit accordingly. They have the data, they have the expertise, and then they have the financial vehicle to be able to raise the capital. So financing is a problem because the individuals and institutions that should be financing do not understand completely the science and arts of agriculture. That's where the problem is. It's not that the money is not there. Because every other day, the CBN is doling out intervention funds in agriculture. There is 100 for 100. There is uh, Agnes. There is, uh, there is everything. You know, but the problem is, do you understand the problem that you're solving? That is 80% of the problem that you need to solve, understanding the issues. And when you understand the issues, every other thing now falls in place. So financing for me, is not an issue, right? Until the actors that need to understand the space know it. And you cannot be a, a, an industry that contributes 25% of the GDP of a nation, but only have access to less than two to 5% of the disbursements going from banks, going into that industry, then there's a problem somewhere. It means that the financial framework of our structure or of our policies is faulty. How can the banks be giving monies to the real estate industries, the oil and gas industries, and a couple of trading industries that don't contribute up to 25% of the GDP? But yet, that industry 
industry that contributes the largest. Look at poultry, for example. The poultry side that accounts for 7% of your GDP by extrapolating it, you know, you are not funding it adequately. You know, so I think we need to we need to balance out, we need to take a holistic approach to what do we want to focus on. Our president has declared a state of emergency, you know, for food. That is good. We just started the first phase. So what's the action to back it? Right? They've made financing available to this, to that. How is it being accessed? How can it solve the issues? You know, who are the people, who are the superintendents over these solutions? And those are the things that we need to take a look at and we need to we need to address. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for this. I have so many other questions to ask you, like, you know, even things around security, you know, moving, getting the goods from the from the farmlands and the places where we know have challenges around, um, you know, um, uh, fightings and and uh, and and all the other um, other things I would not want to mention today. I would look forward to us having a lot long um, conversation on on on, on maybe perhaps have some agri summit for the youth or something. But uh, at this point, I would like to um, say thank you so much for joining us, Kenneth, and um, to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode, Anessing Youth Participation in Agriculture in Nigeria. Uh, just to say that we delved into the critical role that um, young uh, people play or, or can play in shaping the future of uh, the country's agricultural sector and how they can also take advantage of the opportunities that exist in the area um, and, and get the money where the money is. So join us for the next episode in our Youth in Tea series where we will explore topics on the participation of youths in technology, in entertainment and sports. Turn on your notification and follow us on Twitter at, well, X now at abcancel underscore ng for updates. Thank you so much, Kenneth, for such an enlightening and really very um, involving conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day. Bye. You too. Bye bye.